We are in the third week of our new series called Lifelong, where we're looking across the whole life of David in the Bible, learning from his story beginning to end what it means to live in the truth of who we are in God. When things shift and change in our lives and around us, whether positively or negatively, we will find that our identity is tested. And God has always been deeply concerned that we should know who we are in him and that we are known by him. And that's what we see in the life of David, a man known, loved, held, seen by God across all the twists and turns and mistakes and successes of his life. We began with Andy speaking about how we are chosen, that God chose David, the youngest, the most unlikely to be king. God doesn't measure our character by merit or charisma. He looks at and loves our hearts. He focuses his attention on what is inside us. That is where he does his best and lasting work. Adele led us through that well-known story of David defeating Goliath with all the odds stacked against him. We learned that we don't have to be afraid. Not because things aren't scary sometimes, but because God is with us. And what he's done before, he can do again. And today we meet David in the wilderness. There's a whole chunk of David's life where he was essentially on the run. Saul, who was the current king, had turned so far away from God and so deeply into things that were destroying his life that he became threatened by David and he wanted him dead. For the sake of his life, David was forced into the wilderness. The story takes place over about 11 chapters in a book called 1 Samuel in the Old Testament, Don't worry, I am not going to read all 11 chapters today, but you should because it's an incredible story. What interests me is not the particulars of the story, although it's fascinating. What I'm actually interested in is what did he do there? What what do you do in the wilderness? What happens there? It would be remiss of us to look at the life of David and not look at another major output from his life. It's thought that of the 150 Psalms in the Bible that David wrote about 73 of them. A major output from David's life that we have documented for us is that in every season, his impulse was to go to God. And that's where we're going today. We're going to look at Psalm 31, which is one of about 20 or so Psalms that were thought to be written during this period of David's life. It's a psalm that pleads and praises. So let's read it together. I'm going to read the whole thing, and it's a bit more than we would usually read. So you can follow along on the screen or in your Bible if you want, or you could just close your eyes and listen and receive it in a different way. So this is Psalm 31. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Keep me free from the trap that is set for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. 
I hate those who cling to worthless idols. As for me, I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in your love, for you saw my affliction and knew the anguish of my soul. You have not given me into the hands of the enemy, but have set my feet in a spacious place. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. Because of my enemies, I am the utter contempt of my neighbours and an object of dread to my closest friends. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I am forgotten as though I were dead. I have become like broken pottery. For I hear many whispering, terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. But I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies, from those who pursue me. Let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. Let me not be put to shame, Lord, for I have cried out to you. But let the wicked be put to shame and be silent in the realm of the dead. Let their lying lips be silenced, for with pride and contempt they speak arrogantly against the righteous. How abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you, that you bestow in the sight of all on those who take refuge in you. In the shelter of your presence, you hide them from all human intrigues. You keep them safe in your dwelling from accusing tongues. Praise be to the Lord, for he showed me the wonders of his love when I was in a city under siege. In my alarm, I said, I am cut off from your sight, yet you heard my cry for mercy when I called to you for help. Love the Lord all his faithful people. The Lord preserves those who are true to him, but the pride he pays back in full. Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. So I want to start by telling you a story. When I was 21, I spent a few weeks of my summer holiday traveling around Eastern Europe and Russia, and it was like a classic backpacking holiday. Most of the countries that we went to were fine, we bumbled along, had a great time, but when we got to Russia, things were very different. We had heard a lot of stories along the way that mostly just made us feel quite nervous about our time there. St. Petersburg was big and imposing, and all the snippets from my Russian history A-level were suddenly playing very prominently in my mind. When you're overwhelmed, when you are fearful, you need a refuge. And refuge in Russia took on forms that I did not in any way expect. All along our trip, we had been really big on sampling local food and experiencing the things that were particular to that town or city. We were priding ourselves on not looking for anything that we were used to. We were living like locals, apart from like the tea, obviously, because I'm Irish, so I always travel with my own source of tea. But in Russia... Our first few food experiences, let me tell you, they were less than ideal. They involved a lot of 
like unidentified meat products and bread that just, I don't know, it wasn't bread. One day, we were so, so sure that we had finally got our hands on some milk. Bear in mind, this is like before smartphones, so there's no Google in the supermarket. And me and my friend Helen, who I was traveling with, who is also Irish, we hovered over our highly anticipated cups of tea in our hostel and poured in our milk, just waiting for that moment, only to discover that we had bought yogurt. And it's one of the like top most distressing moments of my life, I think. To this day, it still oh, it still gets me. I'm not gonna lie, we both actually cried in that moment. We were having an overwhelming day, clearly. It was actually on this day, this particularly bad day, now known as Yogurt Gate, where we were making our way uh, somewhere and, and we passed a place that we had sworn all along that we wouldn't go to. But the time had come. We were hungry, we were so hungry, and we were desperate. And we looked at each other, our refuge was calling us. It was the fabled golden arches of McDonald's. I, I've never spent so much time in a McDonald's in my life as I did on that day, nor have I ever bought bigger portions, nor have I ever had a more glorious time. I think we were there probably for about three hours in total. Russia was hard, Russia was very hard, and McDonald's was our refuge. Now, I'm not about to try and make some like seamless segue from a St. Petersburg McDonald's to Sam 31, so let's not even try. But for real, you know, there are times when we just need to know that we're safe. David needed a safe place in the midst of unsafe circumstances, and he found that place in God. Part of the forming of his identity in God, and subsequently, our identity in God is that we have a refuge. David finds safety, covering, and hope in God, and so can we. We often talk about finding our identity, and I don't necessarily think that's inaccurate. I just also think that a good portion of our identity is formed. Formed by the things we think, and the things we do, and the things we choose. And we see the formation of David's identity in these wilderness years through the choices that he makes, which are displayed for us in these prayers, these songs, these psalms. I think there are three choices that David makes. And they're choices that are open to us as well. In the wilderness, David turns to God. He stays with God. And he trusts in God. Often in the Psalms, if you read them, you'll find some sort of instruction or dedication at the top, like who it's for or what the instrumentation is to be or what occasion it's for. And the dedication of Psalm 31 is quite significant. It's dedicated to the chief musician, to the director of music, which meant, crucially, that it wasn't just for private use. This one was for everyone. 
And Charles Spurgeon says that the dedication to the chief musician proves that this song of mingled measures and alternate strains of grief and woe was intended for public singing. And thus a death blow is given to the notion that nothing but praise should be sung. David turns to God, pours out song and worship to God in all circumstances, with words that are strong and purposeful, with praise as well as woe. Just look at the psalm. Verse 7, you saw my affliction and you knew the anguish of my soul. Verse 9, I am in distress. Verse 10, my life is consumed by anguish. Verse 12, I am forgotten as though I were dead. I have become like broken pottery. David is operating with a a no expense spared on how many ways he can describe the reality of his situation. Often we come to maybe our friends like that. Those we're close to. We'll speak that, that truth, that level of honesty with those kind of people in our lives before we would ever say it so fully to God if we would even speak like that to God. Or maybe you're not even turning to anyone. Maybe it's a numbing of TV or food. That's the thing you're turning to right now. In his wilderness, David turns to God. This is an appeal He is appealing to God with the fullness of his distress. How can he do that? How can can he say all of this over and over to God? Because his plea is based on a relationship. His approach to God shows us the certainty he had, not only in his standing before God, but also in his belief in who God was and is. What does your approach to God say about your relationship with him? Do you find yourself tentative? Do you feel a need to gloss over how things are? Do you choose everything else under the sun first? What we learn from David here is that We don't need to check anything at the threshold of God's presence. But we do need to step over the threshold. We put so many stipulations on how we can turn to God, thinking it needs to be this way or that, it needs to sound like this, we need to say this or do this or have it together in this way, when all we actually need to do is just to come. The stipulations are man-made. Baggage is welcome in the presence of God. It doesn't get to stick around when you're there, but you're allowed to bring it in. Look to Jesus. Literally all his favourite people were the ones who had like nothing together at all. There is both an invitation and a challenge here. Turn to God where you have turned to literally everything else, even if you're a Christian. Turn to God. 
turn to God and shake off some of the stipulations that have been put in the way and just come to him, baggage and all. David's identity is formed here as he not only turns to God, but as he stays with God. One of my favourite Scottish idioms is that when, instead of asking, where do you live, you say, where do you stay? And there's something that's just so lovely about that turn of phrase. It's such a homely expression. It's, there's such warmth to it. But there's also a bit of commitment to it as well. I had one of those quite common experiences where I left to go to university and then I just stayed here in Edinburgh. So it took me several years to kind of mentally transition that I'd left home. It was probably only after I'd lived here for about 10 years, I'm a later doctor, that I, I realised fully, okay, this is home. This is also home now. It's one thing. It's one thing to turn in a moment of distress. It is quite another to stay. The word refuge is used something like 88 times in the Bible, apparently. I mean, I don't know. Who are these people who are counting how many times words are used in the Bible? Like, is that a, is that a worthy endeavor? I don't know. So who knows if that's actually correct don't think it matters how many times it's being used, but I know because I've read the Bible that it's a lot. So let's say it's 88. And most of these times actually can be found in the Psalms. In this one, we read it four times alone, and we also read words that don't feel too far away from it, like rock and fortress and shelter and dwelling. David isn't just turning to God. He's, he's coming home to God. Again and again, he says in the midst of the reality of his situation, you're my shelter. You're my refuge. I believe I am safe with you. And he also asks God to be his refuge. He both declares it, verse one, in you I have taken refuge, and he asks it, verse two, next breath, Save me, be my rock of refuge. That's interesting. You know, David shows us that we can both declare and ask. It reminds me of a story in the New Testament where someone comes to ask Jesus for healing for, for another. And his words to Jesus are, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Is God your refuge? Like, really, is God your refuge? It's not meant to induce any kind of guilt. Do you know that he longs to be that for you? He longs to be the place where you set up shop, where you stay. He can be that place of safety for you. In the same breath, you can declare it to be true and ask for it as well. It doesn't have to be one or the other. And there's something else here as well. It's, it's back to that commitment thing. We see David make a choice here. 
he keeps coming home to God. He stays. What would it look like for you to make that choice? Perhaps your relationship with God, regardless of how long you've known him for, has always felt a bit like it's been back and forth, you know, running to him in distress and then kind of forgetting about him for a bit when things are fine and, and then back to him in, in distress or out of, out of guilt. What if, what if you just experienced it all with him? There is an invitation to stay with God today. It's a welcome, the greatest of welcomes, but it's also a commitment. Have you, even in lockdown, been playing a bit of table tennis with your relationship with God? Is it back and forth? Does something feel off balance? Come to him today, turn to him and stay with him. Stay with God. And finally, David's identity is formed as he trusts in God. There's nearly always this moment in these Psalms where we get the yet moment, the, the but moment. Here, we get it at verse 14. It's the bit where David, in this case, says, even with all this, in the face of all this, not after the fact, but right in the middle of it, I trust in you. It's an important moment to get to. It's one we'll come to again and again over our lives. It's often not a quick journey there, but it is important to have that destination in mind because that's what we see with David. The destination he had in mind was always the place of, yet I trust you. And he doesn't wallow. There is a difference between being real about your wilderness and believing that it and only it defines you. And I say that with the greatest of kindness, knowing that some valleys are, are long and hard. But the hope in that place, the truth in that place, is that while you may be in the valley, your life is not a valley. You are not a valley. A life lived in relationship with God, made possible through the victory of Jesus, does not mean that we won't experience periods of wilderness. And when we do, we in no way need to be blinkered about our, our experiences. But we are not defined by those times. They are not our identity. Our identity is in Jesus. We trust in you, Lord. Where have you let the valley get a foothold in your identity? I'd be real about it. What place of wilderness or even just frustration 
has become your focus. So much so that you look to it more than you look to God. Or you look to God through that lens. I get it. I have so many things where I have to choose again and again to lift my eyes off my circumstances and towards Jesus. And some days I do that better than others. How could you begin that journey today of peeling your eyes off those places and lifting them to Jesus? Letting those words of yet I will trust in God. Form on your lips and form in your heart. Let me pray. So Jesus, that is our prayer. That you would lift our eyes to you. We know we should turn to you. But often we don't. So Holy Spirit, we need your help. We do want to stay with you. But sometimes we go back and forth. And we know that all too well. So Holy Spirit, we need your help. And God, we, we want to trust in you. We want to trust in you. But sometimes we find that hard. So we need your help. So we welcome you this morning, Holy Spirit, as our helper. Come and do something in us. Form something in us this morning. Begin or continue that work of transformation. We give you that permission. Amen.